My sermon title today is Everything Yet Nothing. The Church of Laodicea. Everything yet nothing. You have everything, but yet you have nothing. You know, it's a very heavy message. And before, every time I, before I preach, I, I, um, I always believe that the, the Word of God must convict me first before I bring it to you. So it's, um, it's a very uh, interesting time of soul searching and really reflecting on what uh, God is trying to tell me and what is God is trying to tell the church. So today is going to be a bit heavy, but I want you to hear the heart of your pastor that I'm, whatever word that I'm going to bring you, I want you to know that I bring you and I'm going to try my best with uh, the Holy Spirit to bring it to you in love, in grace, in, in, in peace, and in comfort. And I want you to really, every scripture that we read, every point that is going to be made, I want you to reflect and I want you to take it seriously um, and ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? God, how can I take this word and apply it to my life Today, what are you telling me? So I don't want this to be another sermon. I don't want this to be another preaching. I want this to be a life-changing uh, scriptural moment for all of us. Is that all right? And with that, read with me Revelations chapter 3. Is everybody ready at home? Everybody ready at home? So you're going to read with me. The scripture is going to come up uh, um, um, on your screen. And wherever you are, shout it as loud as you can. Uh, like nobody cares that you are alone at home or maybe you're with your family, all right? In three, two, one. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, God says, that you are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And that is God talking to the church. God is saying, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. It's not coming out on my screen. Okay, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, to him who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Short prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for the Word of God that has not changed through ages, through ages, generation to generation. I thank you for the Word of God that brings life. Father God, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you just give me the right words to say, that I speak on behalf of you, Father God. I am a mere vessel, I'm a servant, and I'm a son of you, Father God. And I just pray that everybody listening to this sermon, that we would really, really search our hearts and ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? How can I change my life 
today. Thank you, Lord. All glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you, uh, if you remember um, all the way um, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Ju gave a sermon, uh, the seven churches overview, right? And he gave the seven A's um, of, the ch- uh, of all the seven churches, that all the seven churches would have something in common, the seven different A's, all right? I'm not going to tell you what the A's are, not yet at least, uh, so go back and watch that sermon if you forget what the A's are. So, but today, I want to say that in all the seven churches, Laodicea seems to be the most, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say most important, all right, fine. I would say the most interesting. Why? Because in all seven churches, God always approves a church before He accused, before He appeals, before He, all, all the other A's. God always approves of the church. God always say, hey, you know, you're doing something good, you're doing something right. So for example, in all the, all the six other churches, God will always say, hey, you know, I know you have suffered, but there is a faithful remnant among you. I know your love. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you have done for me. I know your love for the people. I know this. You have done this. God is saying that, hey, you know, I commend you for the things that you have done. And even in the church of Pergamum, where Satan lives, right? Wherever Satan lives, you know, it's, you know hey, you know, that's, that's a bad place to be. But even in, that, even in that church, God is saying that even though I know that Satan lives here, I commend you because there is still a faithful and true remnant witnesses of people. However, when you come to the church of Laodicea, God never commends the church. God has not one nice thing to say about the church. God has no approval, no commendation, no good job, no pat on the back for this church. Hence why I feel the burden, the heaviness when I preach this church because it is a, it is a, it is a very heavy message today uh, to bring to all of you. So why, if I would ask myself, why did God never commended the church in Laodicea? What is so special about Laodicea that God doesn't say anything? All right? So before I move forward, here are some of the pictures of Laodicea just to jog your um, historical uh, intrigueness or maybe if you like archaeology a little bit. So this is just an excavation over the last, just the last couple of tens of years. Uh, uh, um, this is actually Laodicea. Laodicea is actually now in modern-day Turkey, right? Um, so as you can see that there is a, a, a main street, there's a cross-section of another street. So hey, you know, this is like a high, high street, main street kind of thing. If you can see right in the middle, the open field, that's like the Agora, the center of commerce uh, uh, is, is about 30,000, 35,000 square feet. It's a huge place. It's like, it's almost as big as a football stadium. And that's where all the commerce happens and, I, and all the temples are across the main street and all the, all the place of businesses are across the main street. So this is, this is what almost Laodicea looks like. So if you live in that century, you'll be, you'll be walking among the white stones, all right? Um, next, really quickly, this uh, is a theater uh, uh, uncovered in the church of Laodicea. The theater can seat 12,000 people. It is, it is said that the theater is one of the third biggest theater in the world at that time. And why this is important be, is because the church of Le- the city of Laodicea is a very rich church. 
as a lot of money. So basically, everybody comes to this. So this is like a this is like the New York of the day. Maybe this is like the Washington of the day. Maybe like maybe like the Kuala Lumpur of the day or the Singapore of the day. So everybody wants to come, and maybe um, all the concerts are held here, right? So if you want to watch BTS, um, you would go to Laodicea just to catch their concert. Is that okay? Um, if you don't know what that means, that's okay. All right, we're gonna move on. All right, so the theater can see twelve thousand people. So it's 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 huge. It's a big church. You know, I want to anchor my sermon today on the five out of the seven eight. Five out of the seven A's. I'm going to tell you about the attributes of the church. Then I'm going to explain to you why God accuses the church or whatever he accuses the church of. Why was God so harsh? Why was God so strict with the church of Laodicea? Then I'm going to say, hey, God gave the church some advice to get better. Then God appeals and assures the church. So there's a 5A for you. Uh, 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 So stick with me. So I'm going to go verse by verse today. I'm going to go line by line, and I hope something would jump out to you. So I'm going to start with the attributes of the church of Laodicea. Let me read. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's very interesting that God starts off this way. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. Now, what's so important about hot water or cold water that God says, hey, I'm going to vomit you out, right? So another word for spit is, I'm going to vomit you out. Nobody likes vomit, right? Well, I hope nobody likes vomit. So the moment somebody says, I'm going to vomit this food out or this drink out, you know the drink is bad. So why is the drink so bad? You must understand the historical uh, uh, prominence of, of hot and cold water in the city of Laodicea. So stay with me. This is a, a, a two-minute history lesson. Is that okay? So this is the map of the church of Laodicea. As you can see, you can see the seven churches, right? It starts from the church of Ephesus, all the way back there. The church of Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea is all the way the last church, right? So it's almost like God is saying that I reserve the best for last. But in this case, God is saying I reserve the worst of the churches for the last, right? Um, next to Laodicea, to its north, is a, a city called Hier- Hierapolis. And to the south of Laodicea is a church called Colossae. You can actually see these two churches in the book of Colossians, right? So in the book of Colossians, Paul actually writes to the, the church of Hierapolis and writes to the church of Colossae and Laodicea and he, and he says a few things about it. I'll leave it to you to go and read the book of Colossians to find out what he says about the church of Laodicea. But why this is so important is because in the city of Laodicea, the, uh, there is no fresh water. You cannot get water from the city of Laodicea. So what they did is they have to bring water, import water from Hierapolis or Colossae. So if you see on the top, I put Hierapolis hot, Colossae cold. So what the, the city of Laodicea did is that they imported hot water from Hierapolis. So Hierapolis had a lot of hot springs, as has geothermal springs. So they had a lot of hot water and hot water, as you know, is very medicinal. Hot water is, is, is nice to drink, right? Who, who wants to drink lukewarm tea? I want to drink a hot cup of tea. So uh, hot water is good because it's very medicinal. Then in, in the south, in the church of Colossae, uh, uh, Laodicea imports cold water because there's cold springs that runs through the city of Colossae and Laodicea says, I would like some cold water please because cold water is very refreshing. And now you can see when God says, I wish you were hot. 
a, a, like a medicinal kind of water so I can make at least a hot cup of coffee, right? Or I wish you were cold. So when I drink you, uh, when, when I drink your water, I feel refreshed in my soul. I feel refreshed in my spirit, right? It's like I will order some uh, uh, ice croissant, hold the ice, right? No such thing. I want ice croissant with the ice. So I want cold water from Colossae. Now, how did they bring the water in? So this is just some fun historical facts, okay? Uh, let me show you some pictures. So what this is, this is called a castulum ahui. Right? Uh, castellum means castle, aqui means water, so this is called a water castle. Uh, uh, basically, this is a water distribution center. So I know that, uh, it's excavated this way, but later I'll show you a close-up picture of how they distributed water. If you see behind uh, what appear to be arches, the arches is actually an aqueduct. So if you remember the, the Roman Empire, one of their famous architectural uh, 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 contributions to the world is actually an aqueduct. So this is the aqueduct uh, um, to uh, bring the water in from Hierapolis or Colossae. Now, what does the aqueduct look like uh, uh, close? So this is the aqueduct, close up, the water transportation system, and you would have water flowing above the aqueduct. So obviously, it has got to go from a high ground all the way to a low ground because there's, there's no pump and electricity back in those days, so you got to use gravity. So water goes from high all the way to low. The reason why they have arches is so that uh, 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 people can walk through, animals can walk through at the bottom, right? So that's how they transport water. Now from the other city into Laodicea, the water goes into a... Ah. There you go. That, it goes into the water castle. So this, this is where the water comes in. As you can see some of the pipes here, Right, so the water comes in, and with those man-made pipes, so it's, man, it's, it's carved out of stone or carved out of clay, right, in those times, uh, they would distribute the water into the city. Now, from the aqueduct into the water castle, through the pipes, the water actually goes into water channels. This is a water channel. Okay, this is not functioning so well. This is a water channel. So from the water castle, it will go through this one main pipe here, goes into the, I don't know, maybe, uh, the, maybe the, council's, the council building of Laodicea. Then you've got eight smaller channels. I believe one, uh, four of it is for cold water, the other four is for hot water, and, they, and, and the city council can uh, distribute the water across the city. And how uh, does the uh, water pipes look like? The water pipes look like this. So they carve it out of stone, and they, and they, they build the, the, the pipes out of clay, and then the water flows through. It's, like, it's, like, it's, it's an engineering genius back in those days. So this, how can a city survive without water? Well, we'll import water, right? And why this water tastes so bad in the, in, in the city of Laodicea is because if, if you study the geography of Laodicea, Laodicea is actually covered in very rich minerals. So the moment you flow water through minerals, and of course, there's no advanced filtration system like we have now, the waters will calcify, which means that there are a lot of calcium in the water, there are a lot of minerals in the water. So the moment it reaches you, it's not only not hot, or not cold, the water is lukewarm, and the water is mixed with a lot of minerals, so when you drink it, it's very bitter, and everybody who drink the raw water from the pipes, they will spit it out. So they have to boil it, they have to filtrate it with their ancient system or whatever, they have to do something to the water in, before they drink it. The city of Laodicea took this so seriously that they recently found, archaeology recently found a tablet that says there is such a thing as a water law in Laodicea. The water law states that anybody who disrupts the pipes, who pollutes the water, will be fined 5,000 to 12,000 denarii. One denarii is a day's wage. So if you are fined a minimum of 5,000 denarii, that's 5,000 days wages. In my 
rough calculation in my head right now, it's about 12 years of your salary just because you, I don't know, maybe polluted the water. So they took it very seriously because no water, no city. What does it got to do with the book of Revelations? Here's what I believe it's got to do with the book of Revelations. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, right? So I've said this already. What does lukewarm mean? Lukewarm in the Greek means hilarious. Hilarious. The condition of the soul wretchedly fluctuating between inactivity or lethargy and a fervor of love. Let me say it again. When God accuses the church of being lukewarm, He's accusing the church that your condition of your soul is wretchedly fluctuating between inactivity, means you're doing nothing, or lethargy, you're doing a little bit, but you're tired doing it. You have no zeal, no passion doing it. And then you fluctuate between a fervor of love. If I were to put it in modern context, it is a cyclic battle between sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness. One day, you're hot, and one day you're cold. One day you're in, one day you're out. One day you're up, and one day you're down, right? Nobody wants that in a relationship. We sing it in our songs, right? Come on, girlfriend, or come on, husband, or come on, uh, partner in life. Are you hot or cold? Are you in or out? Are you up or down? Are you, are you right or wrong? What do you want to do in this relationship? Come on, man, do something. I'd rather you do something than do nothing. And God rebukes the church and say, at the end of the day, church of Laodicea or church of XYZ, come on, guys. The first rebuke God says is, number one, God says, you are uncommitted. You are an uncommitted church. Think about it and think about your own life, especially in the time where we cannot attend church physically, where we can only attend church via the screen. How many times and how many times do we struggle with our commitment to Christ? How many times do we struggle to pray? How many times do we struggle to get, draw near to Christ, to, to draw closer to Him? We struggle, don't we? We struggle. And God says, if you struggle for long enough and you struggle in the extreme where one day you're hot and one day you're not hot and you don't know what you want to do with your faith, God says, hey, you have an uncommitted faith. I would, there is a saying by uh, Leon Morris, right? And the saying goes like this, it is better to completely deny Christ rather than to have an in-between faith where one day you say yes to Jesus, one day you say no, and people don't know what, where, where you want to go and, and what you want to do with your life. You have an uncommitted faith. Come on, commit to the faith. Do something. As much as every single human being want their partner to love you unconditionally, right? I've never met somebody that says, I don't mind your love, but I just want a little bit. No, I want your love and I want all of you. I want, to, I want you to love me unconditionally. I want you to love me for me in all my flaws. Love me in all my greatness. Love me, just love me unconditionally. And God is asking of you the same thing. And the moment we say, well, maybe. Can you imagine? I want a date. I'll pick you up at eight. And then you have a text. Maybe 8.15, you know, maybe I'll cancel. Maybe 8.10, maybe I'll cancel. I, I'm not too sure whether I want, you would go, uh, okay, you know what? I'm gonna cancel the date. I don't wanna date you anymore. You go home and figure it out. And God is saying, you stay in your homes and you figure out your faith. Do you wanna commit to Him or do you wanna not commit to Him? You have an uncommitted faith. Now I've got seven points, so I've gotta move on. But I want you to think to yourself, how committed are you to Christ? 
How committed are you to watch the services live? How committed are you to pray? How committed are you to love Jesus in a difficult time such as this? I want to move on. That's number one. Number two, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say, I am rich. The word rich here in the Greek says, plusios, uh, uh, um, which means abounding in material resources, abounding in earthly riches. All right, it's, it's, it's important. I need you to pay attention. You say, God accuses the church. You say, I am rich. I am rich in material resources on earth. And God is saying, hey, do you know why uh, the Laodicean economy is rich? Let me tell you why. They're rich for three big reasons. Number one, that Laodicea is the banking center, the financial district of all the, of all the cities in the area, right? Which means that they're almost like a Hong Kong, they're almost like a Singapore, or almost like a, almost like a New York, right? Or London. They are the financial district and everybody wants to go with, into the financial district. It is said that in London, uh, six trillion pounds is transacted a day because they're a financial district. And if you get a cut of even one 0.01% of that six trillion pounds, um, you'll be quite well off. So everybody wants to trade in Laodicea. And Laodicea also have a very unique black wool clothing because they're, they have a lot of black goats in the area. So uh, um, if you want fashion, if you want to be fashionable, you want, you want to have the, the latest black dress, what you do is you go to Laodicea and you say, can I have a black dress, please? And, and they'll give it to you, black dress made out of wool and it's very specialized to Laodicea, right? And the next one, uh, Laodicea is actually a medical center which means that people go to Laodicea in order to get healing, in order to get a, a recovery from sickness, right? And the most famous product out of Laodicea is an eye salve. It's very interesting. Um, there's a lot of uh, history on this eye salve, but I, I don't think I've got time to go into it. So um, these three big reasons is why Laodicea is a rich city, and that's why the church is also a rich church. And God says, you, church, you say that you are rich. You are complacent in your faith. Or should I even say, you are comfortable in your faith. You say, I've got everything I need in this world. What more do I need? Everything else is a want. I've got everything I need. The basic necessity of human life will be food, will be water, will be a roof over your head and clothing. I've got everything I need. Everything else is a want. I want my next yacht. I want my next mansion. I want my next Rolls Royce. Everything else is a want. And God says, you are complacent in your faith. Until you sit at home, comfortable in your couch, refusing to move, to do anything with your faith, because you're just way too comfortable in your seats. And that's why if you Zoom with me, sometimes I would like and I would love to say, and I'll probably say at the end of this sermon, could you just stand up in your homes, off your couches, to just stand in the presence of God and give Him that respect and honour? Because sometimes we can get way too comfortable watching the service in our most comfortable clothes and most comfortable beverage, and then we get say, hey, you know, this is the way the church of the future should be. And God is saying to you, are you too comfortable? And are you too complacent? But if you think that's bad, it gets worse. Next, compromised and a complicit faith. Why do I say this? It's interesting. 
If you study the rest of the six of the churches, right, uh, the other six of the churches, it, it says um, the churches, uh, in order to have business in a city, you need to pay respects to the pagan gods. In order to ha have business transaction, you need to worship the Roman emperor. In order to have business transaction, you need to go into their temple and, 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 and commit sexual immoralities in order to get business deals and business transactions. Do you also know that in those times, the bank is actually a temple. Why? Because nobody would rob a temple in those times. Everybody would rob a house because to rob a house, you just get caught and you get slapped a fine. But if you rob a temple, auto automatically the authorities will come after you. Probably they will send curses from the heavens and curses from the gods after you, not just you, probably just you and your generations to come, right? So it's nobody robbed the temple. Now you can see why the church of Rhodesia was treated so harshly by God. It's because God says, why are you rich? Every other church in the region, they are suffering. They say, I'm not willing to compromise my faith. I will not worship a pagan God and I will not compromise my faith and I will suffer for my faith even if I cannot get that business deal. And then here in the church of Laodicea, the only church out of the seven, you say, I am rich. How are they rich? They must have been rich because they compromise and they are complicit in making people worship the Roman emperor, come into the church, the temple of God, or the church of God in Laodicea, you come and in order to do business with the church, you also have to worship the emperor. You have to worship other pagan gods. And you have to commit sexual immorality in the church of God in order to do business deals. And because you say you are rich, you put two and two together, God says, you have compromised your faith. You are complicit in immoral, idolatrous acts before God and you are guilty as charged. How are we different from the church? Especially in a pandemic such as this, when it's difficult to meet with one another and then we go, all right, the world says I need to be fearful. So I nurse the spirit of fear every day. The world says in order for me to prosper in a time such as this, I need to pay this person. I need to do these things behind the scenes. I'm fetching here because I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I'm trying to say that a lot of times we have compromised our faith with the enemy. We have compromised our faith with the values of the world in order for us to be rich in this life. And this is probably probably one of the harshest rebuke God has to say about the church of Laodicea. Probably the worst one is will be number seven. But God is saying, have you compromised your faith? Because you probably have. Take a look at your life and God and the Holy Spirit will convict you. Are you doing something you should not be doing? And in this context, pagan, idolatry, compromising with worldly values, sexual immorality. And this is a serious charge that you need to take stock because God says, I'm about to spit you out. And if you think that's good, it gets even worse. Next, the church says, and we do not need a thing. So not only are you compromised, not, are, not only are you complicit, now you are conceited in your faith. You're arrogant in your faith. 
you're proud and, and you boast about something to everybody to say, take a look at me, world. I've got it made. I don't need anything. I don't need anything from you and I don't need anything from God because I've got it made. And we boast in our faith. We're conceited in our faith. And then it goes on and it says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now we're not only um, conceited in our faith, but contradictory in our faith. We are a walking contradiction. We think we've got it made, but God is saying that, look at your life. How many times do people have to point their finger at the church and say, you are a bunch of hypocrites. You are a walking contradiction. You preach one thing, but you do another thing. And church... If all the other points don't relate to you, I think you need to relate to this one. Because it's not just a preacher. Because it's sometimes our lives. Where we say we are a Christian, but yet our lifestyle don't reflect our Christian values. We are a walking contradiction. But I think that's just six points. I really like the seventh. The seventh point is this. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. Pay attention to the word wealth. Then it says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Now, you see all the same words here, rich, rich, wealth. Wealth is like rich, but it means very different in the Greek. What does this wealth and this rich uh, stand for? Because God says, then you can become rich. You buy gold refined by fire and I will make you rich. What is this rich? This rich is actually pulteo. It means rich in resources so that he can give blessings of salvation to all. It's a very different kind of rich. The first kind of rich when people boast, I am rich in worldly materials. And God says, no, I want you to be spiritually rich so that you can be a spiritual blessing of salvation to all. And watch what, to me, the most harshest rebuke to the Laodicean church. They say, I am materially worldly rich. I have acquired all the spiritual blessings. I have, or at least they have, a contorted faith. Not just compromised, not just complicit, not just uncommitted, not just uh, conceited, not just contradictory. They have a contorted faith. Do you know what they believe? They believe this, that I must be rich because I am spiritually blessed. So they equate spiritual blessings to earthly riches. Prosperity gospel never started in the 20th century. It started here. They say, look at me. I'm rich because God has blessed me because I'm spiritually rich. In other words, they're saying, you, everybody else, you are poor because God has not blessed you. God has cursed you because you are spiritually poor. You see what they're saying? And they have drawn a divide by using the pronoun, I am rich, you must then be poor. And they have a contorted faith. They've distorted faith. A faith that equates everything in the spiritual to what is happening in the physical. God reserves His harshest rebuke for the Laodicean church. And every time I studied this, I've been studying this for two months and I've been praying about this for two months, I always ask God, God, how am I one of the seven, two of the seven, three of the seven points? And I want to encourage you to, I want to appeal to you today. Which is the, one of the sevens do you fall under? And God is 
speaking to you. How are you fallen? But there's good news because God says, we'll have to move on a little quickly now because God says, hey, even though you've done all these crazy things, I still want you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become spiritually rich. I still want you to wear white clothes so that you can be dressed in the righteousness of God. I still want you to put proper eyes, spiritual eyes out so that you can actually see. And God says, hey, from your corrupted gold, I want you to buy purified gold. From your black wool clothing, I want you to wear a white garment dressed in the garment of righteousness of God. And from your eye salves that makes you uh, become popular in the world, I want you to put on spiritual eye salves so that you can have spiritual vision. And all these three, God is saying that I need you. You are already spiritually poor. You are spiritually pitiful. You are spiritually naked. You don't know it, but God knows it. You can trick the world, but you can't trick God. And God says, I want to bless you. I want to spiritually bless you. You need to wear and have spiritual righteousness. And this is the best part of all, you need to have spiritual vision, especially in a time such as this, whether we're going to have MCO3 or not MCO3, when are we going to have the vaccine, when are things getting back to normal, and God is saying to all, and God is really saying to me, you see things a lot in the physical, you're looking at trying to, what is going to happen, what's going to happen here, God is encouraging, can I use the word encouraging, God is encouraging me, and I believe He's encouraging you, don't see in the physical, even though you need to have practical faith, I believe in that, but I want you to see in the spiritual, what is God doing in our lives, what is God doing in our church, God is saying have faith, don't have fear, God is saying that draw near to Him, don't draw away from Him, God is saying that you need to have spiritual vision. Do you want that? Do you want spiritual vision to see what God sees in the natural? And then God says, if you, if you think, hey, you know, all the seven rebukes are really harsh. This is the good news. The good news is this. You are neither hot nor cold, but we always forget this one word. I am about to spit you out. If God never says, I'm going to, I'm, I have spit you out. You have been spattered out of my mouth. You are on the floor. God never said that. The exact word God said is, I am about to spit you out. Therefore, there is still hope. You are hanging on by a thread, but there is still hope. God has not given up on you. Why? Because in the next verse, He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. God has not given up on you. God is saying that, yes, you are all the seven points that is bad, but I am not yet given up hope on you. I'm only about to spit you out. There is still hope. I love you. And because I love you, I need to rebuke. I need to discipline you. And the, the, the redemption for Laodicea is God is saying that there is always correction from up on high. And with correction should always come a confession of our sins, should always come a consecration of our lives. That you say, God, I repent from my ways. Please help me get better. That's the cure for all the seven crazy things that we're going through. That's the cure to say that I get down on my knees, I bend my knees and I bend my will to the up God on high and I says, God, will you correct me please? That is humility. Will you correct me please? Because I know I'm wrong. I, I can't see very far, but will you come into my life and correct me please? Will you? Because I confess my sins to you. And God is saying, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But the last C is the most important C for you to remember. Because God says here, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
It opens the door. I will come in and eat with him. And I guess it's, it's pretty prophetic that all of us here are listening from homes. God is standing outside your home because in the Laodicean church, they no longer have Jesus within them. Jesus is standing outside. It's almost like the church says, Jesus, thank you for your blessings. You can wait over there, but we're going to enjoy the blessings over here. And God is saying, I have not given up on you. I still love you. I'm standing at the door and knock. I believe that he is a committed Jesus. He will stand there and he will knock until you chase him away. But if you don't chase him away and you're not sure whether you should open the door, he will still be there. He will still be there standing in front of you, behind your door and knocking and says, can I come in? Will you let me in? If you open that door and let him in, he says, I will come down to eat with you. Do you know the word eat or in the King James Version, the word sup? I will come in to sup with you. I will come in to eat with you. The word eat is only used four times in the New Testament. In all the four times, the context of the word eat or sup is in the context of the last C, communion. Communion. God is saying, in order for you to have a faith that is revived, in order for you to have a faith that is exciting, in order for you to have an active faith, you need to open that door and let Jesus in. Many of us are having a trickle-down faith. You have faith from this pastor, this preacher. You have faith from a church in the US, a church in Australia that were streaming all the services in the world. It's, it's what we call a sermon buffet, a church buffet. We're streaming all kinds of, of, of services in, but God says at the end of the day, the water that you're receiving is all full of rich minerals. And it comes to you through your screens. And it, maybe it's bitter. Maybe it's not so nice to drink. What you need is you need the living water inside of you. You can still stream all the services. Nobody's stopping you. God never said, I don't like rich people. This whole Laodicean church is not about whether you're rich or poor in the flesh. It's not about whether you're good looking or not good looking, tall or short. It's not about whether you're white or yellow in the flesh. God is saying, no matter what you are, as long as Jesus is standing outside your door, you're going to be dry. You're always going to be uncommitted. You're always going to be conceited. You're always going to be complacent and comfortable wherever you are. You're always going to be complicit and compromising. You're always going to be contorted in your faith. But until you let Him in, and we're going to do communion very shortly. And that's why we're doing communion at the end. Because I want it to be a prophetic act today that wherever you are in your home, I want you to partake communion and I want you to say those words that Jesus, I hear you knocking on my door. I have been spiritually dry for a year and a half. I've allowed the computer and my screen to rob me of my excitement and my joy in you. I have allowed it. I've compromised. But I want to have communion with you. Will you come into my life and give me living water that flows within me, that flows within me so that I can be encouraged in you? so that when people see me, they know that I'm a real Christian. I want to have communion with you. And if you agree with me, I need you to do one more prophetic act. Because Jesus is standing at the door of your house, of your heart. 
In order to stand at the door, you need to stand. In order to open the door, you need to walk to the door, stand, and open the door. And today is going to be a little bit different. And if you want to open that door to Jesus in your life and to invite the living water in to refresh your soul, to heal your soul, I want you to do communion on your feet. I want you to stand in, your, in the presence of God in your homes. For those in the sanctuary, stand in the presence of God and utter those words, God, Jesus, I open the door for you to come in to eat with me. So I'm gonna, so wherever you are, can you take your communions um, on bread or drink? I'm gonna give you a little bit of time to just grab it, grab your families, grab whoever it is with you. If this sermon have touched you in any ways, have, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in anything, and if you have any of the seeds and you need those seeds, and you say, Jesus, I'm tired and sick of my spiritual dryness. I'm tired and sick of my spiritual fatigue and inactivity. I want you to come into my life again and commune with me. Stand and I'll pray for the communion and we will take it together. So I'm gonna give you just 10, 30 seconds to just think about Jesus. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Matthew 26, 26 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Thank you, Jesus for this bread that was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, that this, for this bread that heals us, heals our soul, for this hot water that heals our soul. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you partake of that bread? I wanna give you 30 more seconds, wherever you are, to earnestly repent if you have any one of those seas just come before God and says God I'm sorry for the things that I've made it let me give you some time of quiet reflection Matthew 26 27 then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus, for this cup. Your blood represented that was spilled for us. And we ask that you forgive us all our sins, that we can draw close to you, to be in communion with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take up the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Wherever you are at homes, if you believe in this, can you repeat this prayer after me before we sing the last song? Say, Jesus, I hear you knocking on my door. I hear you knocking on my door. I'm gonna stand up. I'm gonna walk to the door. 
I'm going to open the door. I'm going to let you in. Come into my life, Jesus. Come and eat with me. Come and be my living water. Refresh my soul. Be with me. I'm not enough. Will you be here again with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for you are good. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Dry bones awaken. I'm going to speak into every single one tuning in that no matter what happens in the natural, whether we have an MCO3 or not MCO3, whether whatever happens in the natural, Father God, I believe dry bones will awaken from today onwards. Dry bones come alive. Spirit of God, come and speak into those dry bones. Spirit of God, come and be our flesh, be our tendons, make up our organs. Let us see, Father God, give us spiritual vision. Give us, Father God, spiritual righteousness, Father God. Give us spiritual blessings so that we can be a blessing to others, Father God. Let us not be complacent. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not be contorted. Let us not be uncommitted. Let us not be conceited in our faith, Father God. But let us be in communion with You so that we can remember that we are the covenant generation, that we have a covenant with You all the way from Genesis chapter 15 when Abraham cut that covenant with You. When you cut that covenant with Abraham, we, Father God, we are the inheritance of Abraham and Jesus Christ. So I thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus, from today onwards, Father God, let us, Father God, in our spirits come alive again. Come alive again. Be excited for the things of God. Be excited for church. Be excited for prayer. Be excited to, for Scripture. Be excited for what you're going to do in the church of God and in this country. We thank you, Lord Jesus, as you separate us now with your love, your blessing, Father God, will you watch our going in and our going out now and forevermore. We thank you, God. Oh, glory to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we all say, Amen. Type in the chat, Amen. Thank you, church, for tuning in. Thank you for this service. Thank you so much. Connect with us because we want to connect with you. God bless you, church. See you.